Hi everyone, from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the Impact Investment Marketplace. Live on tape from San Francisco, I'm Brian Walsh, Head of Impact for the financial technology company Liquinet, and I'm here in California, in San Francisco, for the SOCAP 2016 conference with Imogen Rose Smith of Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And David Bank, who's the Editor-in-Chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Welcome to California. Thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, so this is SOCAP 2016. It is the annual gathering that's been happening since 2008, bringing together uh, thousands of people who are in the impact investing market in some way. Uh, Imogen, this is your very first SOCAP. It is. Uh, I came to the very first one in 2008. I've been to most, but not all of them since then. David, you've been to... I think I've been... This is the ninth, apparently. I think I may have been to seven of them, not continuously. Okay. And so, Imogen, as a SOCAP newbie, uh, what can you tell us? First of all, set the stage for us. What is SOCAP as you've understood it? So, SOCAP is billed as the gathering for the people of impact. Um, the people of impact, is that as citizens? That is the citizens of impact land. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> impact land is a magical it land. Is, it is the place where the citizens of impact land all come to talk <laughs> impact. Okay. Um, That's probably true because they have their own language. They, they do. They have their own sense of shared identity. There's a whole shared culture. And there's there, customs. There are, there are tribes within impact. Yes. And there are little impact rivalries. And there's in, a history. There's a tradition. There's a kind of oral tradition handed down. Passed so, down from impactee to impactee. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think impact land, it makes sense. All right. So SOCAP is the gathering of the citizens of impact land. And I guess that is the question, right? Like, who are the citizens of impact land? And how has the population changed over the past decade. For me, you know, everyone's always like, oh, Imogen, I don't know if you're going to like SOCAP. <laughs> like someone was like, oh, I'm really surprised to see you here <laughs> because it's definitely more of the idealistic, feel-good, entrepreneurial, aspirational element of impact investing, whereas, as we all know, I'm a grumpy curmudgeon and I come at it more from the traditional institutional finance space. So land. Yes. The, the land of institutional <laughs> investing. Okay. And, and and certainly there there have been moments during the conference when people have, you know, people what's funny is people talk a lot about institutional investors. Even in impact land, you hear a lot about institutions. And I've been sort of grinding my teeth because there there are no institutions in this audience. And um, there are some people who maybe should be in institutions, <laughs> but that's that's another issue. No, I mean there haven't been. You know, it's been a it, it it's been a lot less. You know, bulletins from Planet Tofu, as Morning Money Ben would call it, than I thought. Like it, it is. It's not as crazily idealistic and Marxist as maybe it was back in the day. I mean, you guys tell me, but it's not. It's nowhere near as mainstream as perhaps some of the participants think it is. And I think there is still, a, you know, to be fair, I, you know, I think a lot of people recognize this, there's still a big bridge to go to be institutional. Hmm. And maybe SOCAP isn't the place to be institutional. Hmm. David? Well, I've been coming for a long time, as you say, and the every year the same debate rages, which is, wow, SOCAP is so left coast funky, 
California, it's not really, you know, for real investors. And every year, some many or some of those real investors do show up and they often have the same experience that Imogen has, which is say, wow, there is something really going on here that uh, is very valuable and is different from the usual button-down Wall Street finance conferences I go to. I mean, just to set the stage a little bit, we're at Fort Mason, which is right on the waterfront in San Francisco. It's in view of the Golden Gate Bridge. It, it, the fog rolls in, the sailboats sail by. Some years it happens to coincide with Fleet Week and the F-16s are screaming overhead. It's a mosh pit of a, of a financial conference. But, for example, this morning I ran into a woman. She was the head of research. I won't name her. And, out her, but she was the head of research at a major Wall Street bank. She's now runs a very fast growing asset management firm. Uh, she, she said, as Imogen said, that everybody said she'd hate it here. She was positively giddy. She said she had met so many interesting people. She had had so many ideas. She had hired somebody who, who she was excited about. And she said, uh, you know, those people don't know what they're missing. So I know um, who you're talking about, and that's pretty much her normal Grant, granted, she's an excitable person. But but, but let's let's unpack this a little bit because I, I did have somebody uh, somebody I was in conversation with during Sir Cup who who there was a colorful figure who was in the in the crowd, someone who probably wouldn't have been out of place at Burning Man, and and the observation was made. Well, that's why we can't have nice things. That that the the SoCap audience, the impact investing audience, will always be perceived to be funky. Lefty, left coast, a uh, little bit too touchy feely, too sentimental, uh, to really attract mainstream financial investors. It's funny you mentioned Burning Man because, in fact, a Burning Man took place just a, a week or so ago, also here. And in fact, it always SoCap always sort of either just follows or or, or sometimes immediately follows uh, Burning Man. They make they take pains for it not to conflict with Burning Man because that would substantially reduce the attendance. And uh, we probably just uh, exacerbated the stereotype because we put a story up on Impact Alpha this morning posted from Burning Man and we had the requisite pictures of people encrusted in playa dust and riding around on bicycles in the desert. Um, and in fact, there was an impact investing session at Burning Man. Uh, led by many of the, some of the people who are, are here at SoCap, but one of the folks who was at Burning Man apparently, who's not at SoCap, was Grover Norquist, right. the conservative He was a, he was a Burning Man last year. I He's a Burning Man regular a, apparently, oh and uh, says it's the most fun non-Republican conference he attends all year. <laughs> <laughs> but my guess is you can find more finance guys and more money at Burning Man than you can at SoCap. But, so SoCap is a very big tent, and this year because of construction in one of the buildings that literally had a big tent um, as well. But it's a big tent. You know, when, when the first SoCap, I think there were a few hundred people here in 2008. Now there's somewhere 2,500, maybe 3,000 come uh, flock to the, to the shores of the San Francisco Bay and Fort Mason Center. Uh, it's a big tent, and the, the question I've had uh, asked of me throughout this conference has been, is it too big? You know, is it, should it be... Um, should it be a smaller tent and should people be focused just in their area? So the people that believe that impact investing includes concessionary returns, that it includes uh, the deployment of capital seeking lower than market rate returns. Uh, but also in that tent are people saying, no, we don't want to be tarred with that brush. We want to really say that we can make market rate, market beating returns, that this is a compelling investment opportunity. We want to seek mainstream credibility uh, for this investment approach. So should those two 
divides, those two camps within the impact investing big ten, should they still come together in the same uh, community in the same space? Is there enough commonality for them to learn from each other? Or do we really uh, maybe start looking towards breaking up the impact investing uh, uh, family, so to speak, that you have the concessionaire return, social enterprise, philanthropically more minded folks on one hand, and then you have the more aggressive market rate returns. So David, what's your, what's your sense? Well, I'm actually a big tent guy. I think actually the power of impact investing comes from exactly that tension. There is, as Imogen said, tribes, and they're, and they're basically the ones that you just described, Brian. But I think that the creativity comes from the uh, intersection and the um, uh, intermingling of those strands. I, I've just been talking with some institutional investors, and there are a handful here. And in fact, they were talking about how they promoted and fought for the sustainable investing ESG uh, impact investing platforms within their major banks, uh, Deutsche Bank and Bank of Montreal. And in fact, they were right on the fulcrum of that of that discussion. They were making um, both uh, the, the client demand from the wealth management clients was very strong. That was the driving impetus. Those people are, um, are, are driven at some level by the passion for, for making some change. And then inside the institutions, they had to meet all the kind of hurdle rates and, and other things that, that any kind of um, uh, financial product offering or financial platform would have to meet. And they were working back and forth across those tensions. And in fact, uh, once they could work that out and kind of articulate that strategy and say that there were market rate returns or competitive or, or at least attractive returns and that they would have a killer uh, proposition to talk with these milk management clients, um, they finally got some traction inside their institutions. So I think it actually is that tension that gives the whole thing its power. Hmm. It See, so to, to me, those guys aren't institutional. That's retail. But <laughs> there you go. But I think but I mean, institutions creating product for their clients. Yeah, no. But it's not I mean, necessarily institutions. It's not pension funds. It's not pension net, funds. Yeah, and it's I mean, insurance companies. Yeah. It's the, the reason the distinction matters is because when we're talking about scale. Right, and then putting large amounts of capital to work. And over the long term, yes, you can have large amounts of capital in a retail product, but it's actually gonna, that's gonna take a lot more time and it's only gonna affect certain sides of the market versus what we really think about when we're talking about institutional investors. We're just putting large capital to work to affect these, to, to impact these huge social trends that we've been talking about. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think the big tent is important and I think it's important to sort of let's say, shake up the complacency of some of the impact stalwarts and the, the, the people who like to be, to mix our metaphors, a big fish in a small pond. Um, to me, in some ways, um, this conference reminds me of another conference I've never been to because it's not sufficiently institutional yet, which is um, what used to be called SRI in the Rockies, which is now called something similar. And um, they apparently when they started, they were like a full-on bunch of like hippies. And, you know, over time, as the ESG conversation has become more institutional, they've found that like more and more mainstream investors showing up at that conference and the sort of vanguard that started it sort of feel like out of place at what the world that they, they created. So, I mean, it's, it's a natural evolution and a natural tension. Since we're in California, I'm kind of reminded of uh, the history out here where 
there used to be great wars, including violence, between the rednecks and the hippies up in the hills, and the the farmers and the ranchers who'd been up there, you know, either you know, uh, cutting timber or or, or or farm ranching cattle, and then all of a sudden the back to the land folks show up, and 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 they they would fight these pitched battles back, you know, several decades ago. And over time, the ranchers and the rednecks and the and the loggers, you know, started, you know, smoking pot and, you know, growing their hair long. And the hippies started, you know, getting down to business and trying to run their ranches. And all of a sudden, you couldn't really tell the difference between the hippies and the rednecks anymore. And I think uh, we're... Yeah, we're... my guys, the hippies are the rednecks in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so you're both pro Big Ten. And that you think that the the fact that we have the it, you know, people don't like these uh, these labels, but let's call them the finance first folks and the impact first folks um, together in one big messy uh, conference, and I, just trying to. I don't think out. that's actually the distinction. I think the distinction is small and big, and that small is you know uh, uh, social enterprises and heroic entrepreneurs and you know. Um, uh, even you know small startup innovations, all of which are fantastic and good and, and vibrant and exciting, and big is as Imogen said, deploying tens and hundreds of billions of dollars against green infrastructure, against uh, conservation finance, against you know these categories which are have not really developed the capacity to, to absorb that kind of capital that the big institutional guys have to deploy, and I think that is where the discussion has to go, is how can these this very exciting and impactful small stuff become actually really big stuff? And I mean, to me, the question is, is the substance of the discourse and the level of the conversation. If, if it's the small guys, the finance first guys, or the impact first guys, I don't think it matters so long as the conversation is taking its place at a substantive level. And I think that one of the they having a big tent one of the potentials here is to you know, rebuild the capital stack that one of the things that's gone awry in finance is the ability of that small guy to make his way up to become the big guy and one of the things that impact holds out is the opportunity to bring those things back together so that we can actually move ideas from inception to completion be it you know talking about a startup making water bottles or you know getting solar across Africa and if we can find those places that bring the key players into the conversation to make those things happen then we'll really see change happen in a number of ways does SOCAP do that I don't know I think that I mean David actually did a really really good panel on venture capital talking about exactly some of these issues, and I thought that was really good and that was really substantive. I don't know that there are enough of those players in the room, in the community, to really make that happen. I think who it's... Think, who's in the room? Who, who comes to SOCAP? What's the kind of the sociology of SOCAP? Like, what's, what are the different tribes we see here? There, there are the, you know, some foundation folks, some investor folks. Uh, you have the, the, the heroic entrepreneurs, as you put them. Um, so there's a lot of people who are trying to sell something, whether it's their startup or their fund or their idea. Um, so, but who, who, let's go through like the, the categories of people who come to come to this conference. Well, it's categories, or you could think of it as maybe rings of a of a circle. So 
the core of it, frankly, is the um, the social entrepreneurs and the and the social enterprises, and that's where it sort of started from. And there was a need for raising capital and sort of creating this social capital market, as people said. And and when uh, Kevin Jones and Rosalie started it many years ago, this idea of a social capital market was really a aspiration. And now there actually is a social capital market. So that is one. Whether they're solely responsible, or I don't think so, but there is an evolution like that. But the next ring, I would say, are these impact funds. And they started at, uh, as 10, 15, $20 million funds. And now they're on their third and fourth funds. So it's um, uh, DBL Partners, with it, which is Nancy Fund, which is a perfect name for a fund manager, um, uh, has just raised a $400 million fund. SJF Ventures has raised about a $94 million fund. Uh, interestingly, just this this week, um, Elevar Equity, which I think raised its third fund, which I, I have my numbers right, was about seventy four million dollars, had an announcement with TPG Growth to raise something that that TPG is calling the Rise Fund, which is going to be a billion dollar private equity fund focused on emerging markets, um, uh, low income uh, goods and services. So, to to the point in that six or eight year period, these funds have gone through several rounds and are now scaling up to be to be significant funds. They're not yet at the level of the big Silicon Valley venture funds or the big private equity funds, but they're kind of on a path to growth that's somewhat like what other asset classes, whether it's venture, hedge funds, you know, et cetera, have gone through over time. So things are growing and that's I think the second ring and then out of that you know we can talk about uh, the lack of the bigger institutional guys. Well and to me it's a lot of sellers and not enough buyers and I don't even just mean that for my grumpy institutional hat. Um, it does it does feel like everyone's here selling a dream and selling an idea and maybe it's again I went to Skoll last year. What is Skoll again? The Skoll Foundation has a big annual conference that they do in Oxford and it's very focused on social entrepreneurship. And it suffers from, and it's more extreme, it's much, it's much more social venture. It's a lot of people putting together businesses that they don't even want to be a for-profit business. But the thing that Skoll has is because it is run by the Skoll Foundation, it naturally has a lot of money behind it because the Skull Foundation has a lot of money. So you have that sort of deep pocketed grant funding. You know, some of that is in the room here, but very little actually. I don't see many of the big foundation guys. Yeah, foundations have come, they've dipped their toe in the water uh, over the years and some have sponsored tracks, some have sponsored aspects of the programming, uh, but they're not a major presence here, it doesn't seem. Uh, that there, as you said, there are a lot of sellers, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and fund managers who are selling their wares, and not enough, uh, I think, institutional buyers, whether they are foundations um, or uh, banks or others that are actually coming here looking for deals. And and the funds that I see, it's the equity guys. It's like it's equity and big private equity, right? It's like BlackRock and Bain, and BlackRock and Bain aren't here because they want to fund the social entrepreneurs. They're here because they want the SOCAP credibility so that they can raise money with their retail product. Right. I think, well, I think it's, it's, they're here, in, in, in addition to that, is that they're here for market intel. Like, they're here to see yeah. what's the state of play, um, who's doing what, what are the themes. And, and I think it's almost there's a sense that people want to have credibility among the SOCAP audience and the SOCAP community. Um, in order for them to have 
their kind of social cred so they can not be um, not be pillared by others when they go out. That that's interesting because I think that is sort of does point to what I think the real danger here is, um, or possibly irony, and if not danger, which is that the the the, the major themes, the investment thesis around sustainability as a as a as a source of value, around inclusion, around um, the opportunities that exist in 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 different kinds of markets, whether it's low income customers in around the world or um, different niches, those themes are actually starting to penetrate mainstream investing. So it's possible that the idea of SOCAP will actually succeed where the SOCAP tribe, as we've been calling it, will actually not be part of that success. And that, in fact, you know, the world will move on and, and everybody here will it, still be, in a sense, complaining about something and while the rest of the world has actually adopted the things so, so they it, were championing. So, it doesn't, so SOCAP doesn't have to be the one to get us to the mountaintop. They can just bring the ideas, and the ideas can go mainstream, and that can be a success. So then the argument will be that SoCap should focus on the places that aren't mainstream, right? That their responsibility is to go out and find the next thing that needs to go up the mountain. So you can, and the problem is, is that often some of those trends don't naturally fit into the SoCap community. So, for example, clean energy is not something that, in my understanding, has historically been a big feature at SOCAP and there's often a tension between the environmental climate change guys and the social entrepreneurship guys but clean energy is still still lacking funding because everyone's incredibly skeptical about the ability for it to you know achieve returns so that is somewhere where arguably the SOCAP tribes can still add value do they do that or do they just fall into you know, the same problems that we're seeing throughout VC in general, which is, you know, it's a lot easier to create the Etsy for baking than it is to go and create a battery. And if it starts to, the, the extent to which the community tilts towards that, then I no longer know if it's really helping the massive social problems as it is creating its own little cottage industry of entrepreneurs who just want to create an app. <laughs> and no one has anything to say about that. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Did I just rip apart all your hopes and dreams? The whole feel good vibe. No, no. I think I think here. I think the challenge uh, for the SoCap is about size versus size versus scale versus impact. Okay, so you know, it does a twenty five hundred person or three thousand person conference. At that size, is that the right size for this community and for these kind of conversations and for people kind of engaged on these issues? Um, or is it better for these ideas to become part of the mainstream conversations, and the mainstream uh, investment conferences and the mainstream entrepreneur conferences? Uh, you know, should there be an impact investing ghetto that's safe and that's like a kind of a, a small little pure place for people to get together and talk about uh, impact investing land, um, or I mean, maybe let's take it another way. Like, do we want to have citizens of impact investing land, or do we want to have citizens of the world, right? And so, people that uh, do, do we want to just kind of maintain the purity and the sanctimony? See, I don't see how you can save the world if you're not prepared to go out in the world. This is one of my fundamental frustrations with in the impact world 
which is I think there's a lot of people who like to be really important in this community and think that they're talking about like real finance and, and talking about deals and doing deals and they're talking about you know one million dollar deal if that and they don't want to engage with the real Wall Street guys because they know that they'll get laughed out of town but if you really want to substantively make substantively make a difference then you know you shouldn't be hanging out at SoCap you should be hanging out at the securitization conference in Vegas and sucking it up with the big boys and the the inability or the unwillingness to do that is I think where impact runs the danger of falling down if this really wants to be a mainstream part of finance then it's got to embrace the finance as much as it embraces the impact well, but I think I, I think that I think, we're, I think we're missing a little bit of the point here. I think actually, in my estimation, that the people who are here are spending almost all their time out in the world. They're either spouting out, out in the world in the field, you know, with the customers and beneficiaries of their projects, or out in the world fighting some battle inside their, their institutions or their marketplace. And what the SOCAP actually provides is a place to come back and find the other people who don't think they're crazy, get a little bit of support, Recharge, recharge their batteries yeah. and, 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 and go back out and fight that good fight again. And that, you know, just like I've been saying, they, they, at first they're laughed at and then they're sort of tolerated and eventually they start to run the show. And I think that's, you know, worth the trajectory that we're on. That, that sense of, uh, you know, there's that famous quote, and it's, I think it's fitting that we're at the Fort Mason Center on, on, the, on the shores of uh, the San Francisco Bay. The, the, a, safe, uh, a ship is safe in harbor but that's not what ships are for. And so it's kind of like the, the residents of Impact Investing Land come back to the harbor, the safe harbor that is the Fort Mason Center once a year for SoCap. They kind of uh, reconnect with their community, but then, David, you're making the case that then they go back out there in the world and they fight the good fight. I, I, that's, that's my sense. I mean, you know, you never, everybody always says, oh, what was SoCap like? And, you know, anybody sees, you know, a tiny little piece of the elephant, right? And they, and, and, and they, they, they meet their old friends who confirm their biases or they, you know, go to one panel or they, they, they get their little slice of it and they say, well, oh, it was great this year. Oh, it was terrible this year. You don't really know. It's really partly a projection of your own biases. But my sense of the folks that I talk to here is that they are, moving increasingly out into the quote real world um, there are they are battling you know lots of very real obstacles in and, and increasingly knocking them down so I think there that there's increasing receptivity to what you might call the socap message or the socap movement um, out in the so-called real world right and there's this the world economic reform report a couple of years ago about impact investing was titled from the margins to the mainstream and so there's a sense of, uh, to your point, that, that people are perceived as crazy, 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 and obvious. You know, so it's this idea that is usually laughed at for many years until it becomes an obvious idea that everybody always believed. And there's actually a postscript to that, which is, and then everybody forgets that they laughed at it for many years and pretends that they knew it all along. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. If you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts these days. And be sure to leave a rating and a comment. It really helps other people discover the show. You can send us an email with any comments or suggestions. We'd love hearing from you. You can reach us at info at impactalpha.com. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at impactalpha. And visit us at impactalpha.com. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter there. That's a great way to keep in touch. 
Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. From San Francisco, on behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns on Investment. We look forward to talking again with you soon.